Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, those of you who are new with us, welcome. Uh, just to recap a little bit, we've been slowly journeying through the book of Acts since June, um, and then we took a little break a couple weeks ago to talk about Sabbath and the importance and the, and the great gift and invitation that God gives to us to rest. Um, but as we've been journeying through Acts, we've been really trying to look at who is the Holy Spirit and what is the Holy Spirit up to in this book of Acts. And, and so far we've seen the Holy Spirit working in very spectacular ways, but also in very subtle ways. And I think the greatest miracle that we can see the Holy Spirit acting um, through the apostles, through the believers, is just the number of people who are repenting and committing their lives to Christ. And so, so far we've made it up through about chapter four and a half, maybe. And so far things have been pretty good. Uh, and then we get to this story this morning, and it's kind of a slap in the face, and I get the pleasure of teaching on it. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I've got the reference. We're actually going to talk a little bit about Acts 4.32 through maybe all of chapter 5 a little bit, but I'm going to read Acts 5, uh, 1 through 11. Uh, but the, the verses preceding that are, are kind of really important, and um, just remember that the chapter divisions and the verses, those weren't actually part of the scripture when they were written. Those were added later, and, and sometimes those divisions don't make a whole lot of sense, but they're there to help us. Uh, but Acts chapter 5 says, But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property, He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And if you're anything like me, this story probably raises a lot of questions. Um, I thought God was God of grace, that Jesus was preaching this message of God's grace, and now all of a sudden people are dying? Did they die because they didn't give enough money? What's God up to? 
And I've been wrestling with these questions, and I've come to find out that there are a lot of people far smarter than me who have wrestled with these questions. And there are a lot of different ideas, and a lot of them have their different merits as well as their own shortcomings. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not totally sure what to make of that. I'm sure that's probably not what you want to hear from the guy who's supposed to be teaching the lesson. But I do think that there are some important observations to make, um, important observations that um, I feel like I've been able to make over the last few weeks of just studying this passage. Um, and so I'll share them with you, and I'm not going to say that they're the only way to understand this scripture, but I do think that they are helpful, hopefully. Um, the first thing that I think is really important for us to notice is that the text does not say who killed Ananias and Sapphira or how they died. And I'm sure that it was probably implied and largely understood by Luke's original audience that this was an act of divine judgment, and many of us probably still see that today. But it does not say explicitly, and I think that's important to notice. Just because we're often quick to think we know what the Bible says, um, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. And we have different understandings of that. And those different understandings are valuable. Um, we have different perspectives. There are different perspectives in this room about what's going on in this story. And each perspective, I think, can show us something important about who God is and how God works, regardless of whether we necessarily agree with them. The other thing with that is, I think, as I've asked a lot of questions, I had to realize that I don't think Luke, the author of Acts, was necessarily concerned about the same questions that I'm asking. And so I think that's valuable as we read the Bible as well. Sometimes the questions we bring to the text are not the questions that text is seeking to answer. Not that those questions aren't valuable and important, but we have to accept them for what they are. The second thing that I think is really important is the context here. And I think we do have to pay careful attention to the seriousness of Ananias and Sapphira's sin. And I don't think it's that they didn't give all their money, but I do think that's a part of it. Because the way this story is situated in Acts, and because of what's happening in the community and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is doing, their sin is very, very serious. And I think that part of it has to do with their attitude about their wealth. One of the things that I noticed, um, I'm not going to preach a tithe or die message, by the way. Um, so rest easy. Uh, but one of the things that is really interesting is that Luke... In his gospel, it says a whole lot about wealth. Uh, I don't even think that these are all of the passages that talk about wealth in the gospel of Luke. Um, but most of these are teachings of Jesus. I think the first one is, is uh, um, Mary's psalm about God lifting up the poor. But almost all of the rest are teachings from Jesus. And none of them sound anything like the health or wealth gospel that is pretty popular in our time. And most of them deal with sharing resources to care for others. 
I want to read Luke 12, 31 through 33. I think we have it up there on the slide as well. Because I think this... I think this passage kind of captures the heart of Jesus' teaching about wealth. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And as we look at the end of Acts chapter 4, it says there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And this is a summary that's repeated. Uh, It actually shows up in Acts chapter 2 as well. And I think what Luke is trying to show here is that through the Holy Spirit's power, the disciples, those who are committing their lives to Christ, are taking very seriously what Jesus has to say about money. They believe that God is giving them the kingdom. And part of that kingdom is, I need to share what I have with those who need it. And if I'm in need, I need to receive these gifts from my brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is at work empowering people to obey Jesus' teachings faithfully and obediently. He's shaping their attitudes about wealth in a very Jesus-like way. Attitudes of gratitude, generosity, compassion, care, love, and trust. And the life of the kingdom inaugurated by Jesus is growing as his teachings are being followed. The Holy Spirit is engendering the people to love and trust God and to a genuine love and compassion to their neighbor. And the Holy Spirit invites us and moves us and empowers us to obedience to those teachings of Jesus as well. Moves us in discipleship to be more and more like Christ and to participate more fully in God's kingdom. There is freedom and there is life that is being born out of this generosity, out of giving to those in need. And there is freedom and there is life that is being empowered by the receiving. When one in need receives what they need to live, that's joy. That's, that's the kingdom right there. All through the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, empowering people to take Jesus' teachings seriously. So we have this life-giving movement of the Spirit, and then we've got Ananias and Sapphira. Which doesn't seem so life-giving. Ananias and Sapphira were breaking and forsaking the life of the community with their deception, their selfishness, and their attitudes toward their wealth. We still have to contend with sin and Satan. Hopefully through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
When people, whereas people were responding to the movement of the Holy Spirit with generosity and compassion, Satan tempted Ananias and Sapphira to use their wealth for their own selfish gain. In the story, Peter's words make it clear that giving to others in the community was a voluntary action. The property was theirs to sell or not to sell. The money from that property was theirs to give or not to give. It's their motives that are at issue here. They were not demanded to give everything they had. And it appears that their motives for giving were not rooted in love and compassion, but with self-interest. They seem to be using their property to gain the praise and respect of people, to prop themselves up in the community. They tried to obtain a fake holiness. They saw the way people uh, honored Barnabas, his act of giving, and they wanted part of that. And so Satan, the tempter, the tester of motives, I think he's whispering in Ananias and Sapphira's ear, hey, you could give some money too. You've got plenty. You'll help some people out. Sure, that's great, whatever. But you'll get lots of accolades, like that Barnabas fellow. But you don't have to give it all. Nobody has to know. You never know when you might need some of that cash for yourself. A rainy day might come. Can you really trust this community to care for you if you're ever in need? Can you trust God to provide for you? Seems foolish to give all that money away. Go ahead. Get the glory, but keep some cash. I think that's where Satan tempts us. The riches and the cares, the praise of other people. There's this very interesting imagery, I think, that we've looked at a little bit um, in who the Holy Spirit is. The Nicene Creed talks about Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And we've looked at, we've learned about the, the Hebrew and the Greek words for Holy Spirit or for spirit, uh, ruach and pneuma. And these words also mean breath. So this Holy Spirit is the breath of life being breathed into people. An image of that breath, a breath of life. And in one of his parables, one of uh, very popular parables, Jesus talks about different seeds and the different soil. And the sower spreads these seeds, and some of the seeds fall among thorns. And here's what it says. The seed that fell among thorns was choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Satan is using these temptations to choke the life-giving spirit out of Ananias and Sapphira. It cares about their money, but also their desire to be well-known. And the worst of it all is deception. That pride, that deception that cuts you off even further from the life-giving breath of the Spirit. Causes division in the community. Distrust among the people. 
It also cuts them off from the help of the community. It's also an act of self-deception. I don't need God. I'm okay on my own. I can take care of myself. And what Peter accuses them of, lying to the Spirit, seems a little bit like lying to a doctor. How is a doctor going to help you and heal you if you're not being honest about what's really going on? Jesus speaks very clearly about the danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit move us toward holiness, toward Christ-likeness, if we are not honest about our temptations and failures? Lying to the Holy Spirit is refusing the healing and life-giving promise. It's the ultimate chokehold. And so the story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds us of the high calling upon our life. When we've committed our lives to Christ, we also seek the Holy Spirit's power to live in the way of Jesus, to move into greater holiness in community with other Christians. We must be wary of letting sin and the cares of this world choke us off from the Holy Spirit. We must be honest so that the Holy Spirit and the community of faith can help us free ourselves from that chokehold. And so we think about, well, what does this mean for us today? And I think there are important lessons about how we live in community. And we need to ask serious questions about how we're relating to Holy Spirit and to the community. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? And to fully invest in the community, not just financially, but with our presence, with our attitudes, and with our openness. We also need to be real about our temptations toward fake holiness, as well as the other temptations, the cares and riches of this world. Where are you tempted to be choked off from the life-giving spirit? What cares, riches, and pleasures of this world are choking you? Who do you need to be real with so that you can breathe again? And I think we also have to ask serious questions about our attitudes toward wealth. And I think we've seen glimpses in renew of that beautiful giving that we see in Acts 2. And I I love hearing stories in renew about people who have hospital bills, but They've been surrounded by a community who gives to help pay for those hospital bills. House churches pooling money to buy a mattress for somebody who has an aching back because they're sleeping on an old, worn-out mattress. Stories of preparing meals for those who just had a, a newborn child. The community gathering around and volunteering to provide meals in that time of need. So many other stories, the way that uh, the tithes and offerings of Renew are used to bless and to give to our local and global partners. I think those are things that we need to celebrate because those are capturing the spirit of Acts 2 and Acts 4, where the life-giving spirit is being multiplied through the generosity, through graciousness, uh, caring, and compassion to those in need.
I think we need to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us attitudes about our wealth and about our community that are in line with God's vision. We give caring and compassionately. How we invest our resources communicates our values. If we invest in earthly possessions, we show we, show we care about things. If we invest and care for people, we radiate our love for others, and we radiate God's love. So how do we respond in love and compassion to those in need in our community, in Renew itself, in Lansdale, in Norristown, Eagleville, Telford, North Wales, Satterton, in the world? And maybe it's starting small. Maybe it's starting with carrying $5 in your pocket. I know this challenge has been offered before. And just saying, God, show me somebody who you want me to bless with this money today. Maybe it's going home and saying, I'm going to sell something. I just want to sell one thing, and I'm going to give that money to the poor. Maybe it's a house church getting together and say, hey, we're going to have a house church yard sale. And whatever money we raise, we're going to use it to bless one of, our, one of Renew's partners. Or we know that one of our neighbors has this need, and we want to bless them. We want to share God's love for that. This is not a mandatory thing. This is voluntary, a gracious response to the grace of God made manifest in our lives. And while I think those lessons from Ananias and Sapphira are important and we need to continue to wrestle with those questions, I also think it's crucial to see the bigger picture there is something very, very powerful about the presence of God and God's holiness. God's holiness, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is not to be taken lightly, but with great reverence. And one of the things that's happening in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit's presence is no longer contained within the temple, but it's being poured out among people people who are then spreading out to the world to share God's love and goodness. And one of the things that this story about Ananias and Sapphira does is it draws parallels to the presence of God in the Old Testament. Remember passages like Exodus 33 where, where Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you see my face and you'll die. My presence will pass by you, but you cannot look at my glory. Or stories of the Ark of the Covenant when mishandled and people fall dead. Or the Holy of Holies, that, pres- that place in the temple where only the high priest can go once a year and with great caution and with great care. Because the holiness of God is that powerful and even a little bit dangerous. We're seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit not in the temple anymore. It's being poured out among people. It doesn't have as much to do with the temple. It doesn't have anything to do with this gymnasium. It's being poured out through people. And one of the things that is repeated in this Acts 4 story is that great fear gripped the people when they heard about this. Yeah, people died. That's scary. 
And there is a sense of fear and awe and reverence that ought to come when we consider the holy. And yet that power is extremely attractive. So even out of their deaths, miracles of life are being born through the continual work of the Holy Spirit. And the number of believers continues to grow, as it says in uh, Acts 5, 14, 16, 14 through 16, just a few verses later. So people were afraid, but yet people continued to seek after what was happening in this community, continuing to be drawn toward Christ. It is crucial to see that the sad deaths of Ananias and Sapphira do not thwart the life-giving movement of the Spirit. As more and more people repent and believe, committing their lives to following the way of Jesus. Of course, it shouldn't surprise us that death does not show, does not slow down the work of God. We serve a risen Savior who is the power of life over death. And that is the larger story of Acts. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's kingdom is being fulfilled. God is at work accomplishing the vision set out at the beginning of creation. Communion between God and all of creation made fully possible through through the redeeming life ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus and carried forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is on the move and will not be stopped from accomplishing God's purposes. What is going to stop this gospel movement? Imprisonment? Nope. Sickness? Nope. Beatings? Nah. Death? Not slowing God down. Persecution, no. Blindness, no. Ethnic differences, no. Shipwreck, no worries. That is the witness of Gamaliel later in chapter 5 of Acts. If God is at work, there is no way to stop it. If God is on the move, you can't slow Him down. The only question is whether or not you'll join the life-giving gospel work of the Holy Trinity or find yourself fighting against it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your life-giving power. We thank you for creating the whole world for your glory. We thank you that sin and death does not have to be the final word over our lives. God, I know there are people here struggling. I know there are people who are worn out, tired, dealing with illness. God, your gospel is that that is not the final word. Jesus, you have overcome death. And your Holy Spirit wants to breathe life into us. Gospel life. I pray that our hearts, our minds, our ears 
our mouths would be open to receive that life-giving breath. And that we would respond to your graciousness with grace, generosity, and love for each other and for our neighbors, for the world that you so desperately love and desire to be transformed according to your kingdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.